Brethren, let us once again ask for God's help. And I don't regard this as a vain repetition, but sensing the need of his help as we come to consider his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you how you have helped us to sing your praises, to read your word, to offer up prayers. And Lord, we just sense our utter need of that grace that we've sung about. We desire to do good. We desire to be good. And we can do neither apart from your grace. And so we ask that you will come and help us to do that and be that which is pleasing in your sight. That you would open up the eyes if there are any who have not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good, whose eyes are yet blind to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Open their eyes. And we ask and pray that you would have mercy on us all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask that you would open your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read some words written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes, is writing to a church in Corinth. And what Paul is doing in this section, I'm just saying this before we read so we can get out profit from the reading. Paul is actually explaining himself. Paul has been accused of certain things by false teachers. And as you know, people, like if people are running from office, they say, don't vote for him because he did this, he did that. Don't vote for him because he did that and the other. And there were these false teachers that came into the church at Corinth and they say, you need to stop listening to Paul. Because Paul, he gets so excited. He preaches like a crazy man. They say, otherwise, or Paul, he's just so serious. And oh, how can you endure this man is too serious. He's so sober. And Paul is explaining himself to the Corinthians because some of the Corinthians were kind of led astray. You know someone who's a good communicator, that smooth-talking person? They could be lying to your face, but you just love the way he makes you feel when he speaks to you. So you listen to him, and you go along with him. And so Paul is explaining himself and as he's explaining himself to the Corinthians, he's opening up what's going on in his heart. And what I'd like for us to do this morning is to consider Paul's motive for his life and ministry, and that is the love of Christ. And as we observe Paul with his motive, I want us to look, reflect upon ourselves as believers, and I trust and I hope that we would be encouraged to love Christ more. And if there are any who doesn't really know Jesus, my prayer is that God would open your eyes, that you would be constrained by his grace to love the Lord Jesus before this hour is through. So something of the background of what we're going to read. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll start reading at verse 11. 
Remember the context here. Paul is explaining himself. <clears throat> Verse 11. Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but speak as giving you occasion of glorying that is boasting on our behalf, that you may have wherewith to answer them that glory in appearance and not in heart. Now, verse 13, here are some of the things they were saying about him. Paul is saying, for whether we are beside ourselves, that is your crazy, Paul, it is unto God. Or whether we are of sober mind, that is too serious, it is for you. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they that live should no longer live to themselves, but unto him who for their sakes died and rose again. Wherefore, we henceforth know no man after the flesh. Even though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now we know him so no more. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. But all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning unto them their trespasses, and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And we'll stop there. Paul, here, in this context of this expression where we read in verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains us. And that really gets to the heart and soul of what Paul is all about. If you want to understand the Apostle Paul, that's what you need to know. If you want to understand what makes this man tick, verse 13, whether we are beside ourselves, you know, Paul doesn't think he's out of his mind, but some people do. And if people think that I'm out of my mind, if they think that about me, well, I do what I do as unto God. And if people think I'm sober, that is, you're too serious, you're like a wet blanket, you're too serious. If people think I'm so serious of mine, well, I am serious because I'm concerned about you. And then he says, all of this I do, whether people think I'm out of my mind, whether they think I'm too serious, whether they think this or that about me, I want you to understand what I'm all about. It is the love of Christ that constrains me. It's because of Jesus' love to me, what he has done for me. 
This is why I am the man that I am. This is why I say and do the things that I do because of the constraining influence of Christ's love upon me. And so that's here the more immediate context of these words, what we find of Paul, where he says the love of Christ constrains us. Now, let's consider this expression more carefully. And I mentioned, I hinted to this, when Paul says the love of Christ, Paul is not, first of all, he's not speaking about his love for Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, oh, I just have these wonderful feelings in my heart, and I have these feelings of love for Jesus, and all of my feelings for Jesus, my feelings constrain me to love him more. You know, romance and love between a man and a woman, right? The love songs. You make me feel this or that and the other. And because I feel this and that when I'm around you, I love you because of the way you make me feel. And Paul is not saying he loved Jesus because of the way Jesus makes him feel. This love that Paul is speaking about negatively is not Paul's love for Christ, because our love for Christ is a love that's not perfect. It's a love that is tested and tried by sin and by this world and, and, and by the love for this world and other things. No, what Paul is speaking about here, he is speaking positively about Christ's love for Paul. Paul is saying, when I think about Christ's love for me, it makes an impact upon me. I'm I'm not all gushy-gushy because of how I feel toward Christ. Now, there are feelings, don't get me wrong. We do have feelings for the Lord Jesus Christ, but our love is a responsive love. It is responding to his love. And it's because of Christ's love to me, because what Christ has done For me, his love for me, when I think about his love for me, it impacts me. It does something within me, far deeper than just a feeling, but it brings forth something of this commitment. I'm under the constraint, and let's look at the impact of this love. Look at the language here. Look at the impact of Christ's love on Paul. He says, for the love of Christ." constrains us, that word constrain. This word is a active word, is a verb, is present. It's not something, Paul is not speaking about the past, like I, it affected me then. But Paul is saying, this is what's going on right now. And this is an ongoing thing. And this word means to impel or to urge. In a, in a sense, it's like, a, it's like an adrenaline to drive and to, to animate, to um, alert. You know, you can be dull and you can get excited because you hear something and it brings about excitement. You get up out of your chair and you're ready to go because you're encouraged by what you've heard. And this word, it, it speaks about being pressed 
or squeezed in. Something that is applying pressure to you that it just urges you to move forward. And turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Paul uses the same term but in a different context. And, and this really helps us to understand this term. Where he says the love of Christ constrains us. The word constrain. In Philippians, Paul is in prison. There's some concern whether he be released or whether he may be executed. Paul is confident that he's going to be released, but he's telling the Philippians, if I'm going to be executed, then if I die, I go to be with Christ. But he says, if I live, I continue to have the opportunity to help you in your faith. And Paul, he desires both. And notice what he says in Philippians 1, verse 21. He says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if to live in the flesh, that is, if I continue living, if I survive, if I'm, if I'm not executed, this shall bring fruit from my work. Then what shall I choose? I do not know. I am in a strait. And that's that word that's translated constrained in 2 Corinthians 5. It's the same word, but it's translated here. I am in a strait. That is, I am in a tight place between two things. Having the desire to depart to be with Christ to go to heaven, which is the best, which is very far better, yet to remain in the flesh that is alive here on earth in the body is more needful for your sake. So here's the word, I am in the straight. You ever, you know, this, you ever think of the, um, the, um, some movie or some situation where the, this agent and he's in this room and these two walls are coming toward him and he's like, and you see his hands there, and he's, and then, you know, the screen changes to something else to someone else walking in the park. He's like, I wonder what's going to happen to that guy in that room. And these walls are coming, closing in on him. And that's what Paul is saying. This word is that I'm in the straight. There are two things, and they are coming toward me, and they are applying pressure, not to kill him, but pressure upon his heart. I have two desires. I really want to be with Christ. My heart is to be with the Lord because I will be done with all my suffering, all my trials, all my afflictions, and I'll be with Christ, which is gain. For to me to die is gain. But then on the other hand, oh, but I love God's people, even as our brother mentioned. I love God's people, and I'm concerned about their welfare, and I want to make sure they all get to heaven. And I think of brother so-and-so who's struggling there, and sister so-and-so who's struggling there, or this church and that church. I really desire to live because I want to, you know, like a parent, they want to live to see their children grow up, to see their children well-established and settled. They don't want to die young. 
They want to live and to be with their family and to be with their loved ones. And so Paul has these two competing desires and he is in a strait. He's being constrained. He is, he's being pressed and he doesn't know which one to choose. And so he's, oh, what do I do? What do I do? You ever have something like that in your life? Well, you had two different things you desired and you just don't know what to do. So that's the word that Paul is using here. In 2 Corinthians 5, when he says the love of Christ constrains us, what he means is this. Christ's love for me has so captured his affections and his mind. Paul is so captivated by Christ's love, what Jesus Christ has done, so much that this is the governing influence of his life and ministry. This is what this man is all about. This is what drove the apostle. This is the motivating factor of his life. You know, you go on a job interview and they say, what motivates you? What motivates you? You ask Paul, what motivates you? Paul would say, Christ's love for me. What Jesus Christ has done for me. This is the one thing that drives me in my life. This is the passion of my life, is to glorify him. Is to glorify him and to please him. And so Paul, he is compelled by this, what Christ has done. That's the impact of Jesus' love upon the apostle. Now, let's look at the reasons why Paul is so impacted. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If we're going to understand what Paul means, we have to understand what the Bible is teaching here. So we have to get into some teaching. So 2 Corinthians 5, again, we read the words. Verse 13, For whether we are beside ourselves, it's unto God, whether we are of sober mind, it is unto you. For the love of Christ constrains us. Why? Because we thus judge. Because we thus judge. What does that mean, because we thus judge? This is not what... We read in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. Paul is not speaking about passing a judgment. But because we thus judge means that we have considered. We have, and when Paul says we, he's speaking about himself. We have given careful, diligent consideration. We have thought deeply and seriously about what Jesus Christ has done. The reason why Christ's love constrains me is because I have carefully considered, I have carefully meditated upon, I have carefully studied out what he accomplished in his death. Because we thus judge. And that brings us to the interpretation of the death of our Lord. Now, people can say Jesus died, Christ died for our sins, and have not a clue what that means. It's just something you hear, almost like a cliche. Jesus Christ died. Okay. You, to the average person, people will say, okay, so what? That, 
that doesn't mean anything to me. And that is, and that is the problem. When people are blind to what Jesus Christ has accomplished, when they hear the name Jesus, it means nothing to them. And that's the difference between the unconverted man and the person whose eyes have been opened. And, and let's look at these words more closely. Look at what Paul says. Because we thus judge, firstly, that one died for all. One died for all. We're going to get into some doctrine here. One died for all. What is he talking about? What Jesus Christ died for all, and we know elsewhere from Scripture, he's not speaking about all people everywhere that ever lived. But all that the Father had given to him of God's elect. Christ died on behalf of others. Isaiah 53, turn with me to Isaiah 53. This is speaking of his death, he died as a substitute. All right? That's what that is talking about. He died on behalf or in the place of others. Isaiah 53. Speaking about Jesus, verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men. And that's true of Jesus. The world hated Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom we did hide their face, whom men hid their face, he was despised and we esteem him not. Isn't that true? You can't say the name of Jesus in the office. You get in trouble. You can't say the name of Jesus on the news positively. That's not allowed. You can't talk about Jesus. You see, the world still despises him. The name of Jesus is so offensive. You can't even mention his name. We esteemed him not. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sick sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And we think about what we read in Matthew, how when Jesus Christ was crucified, and all of the abuse that he undergone, and all of the treatment, and the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It was a horrible scene. The word of God tells us what was happening. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, or Jehovah, hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We learned in the previous hour how we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is righteous. 
God is holy. The soul that sinned, the Bible says, shall surely die. We are all born into this world sinners. And we are worthy of death. Not just physical death, but the judgment of eternal death. That is the suffering in hell. And hell is a place of awareness. It doesn't mean you no longer exist. It is a place of awareness. And Jesus used the language where there is weeping, where there is the gnashing of teeth, where the worm dies not. That's metaphorical language describing the reality of eternal suffering. And as long as a person is in their sin, they must endure God's wrath. And once a person dies, if they die not having their sins forgiven, they will pay for their sins eternally in hell. And that's not a pleasant thing to talk about. That's not a popular thing to talk about. But it is the truth, and we must talk about it. We're not going to dwell on this morning, but that is why Jesus endured. That is why he died. That is why we read in the scriptures, there was darkness covering the whole land. And he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hell is a, called a place of outer darkness. If men refuse and women and people refuse to have Jesus, if people continue on the broad road despising Jesus, we don't want anything to do with Jesus, then God will give them what they want. And if you want nothing to do with Jesus, you know what's going to happen to you. When you die, you won't have Jesus to save you. You will go to hell. And you yourself will have to answer to God for all of your sins forever and ever through all eternity. And hell is a dreadful place. And I don't need to raise my voice and yell, although it wouldn't be wrong to do it in passion to warn people to flee from the wrath of God to come. But I'm going to speak softly here because your conscience, my conscience, agrees with this reality. We know as creatures made in the image of God that we have to answer to God. And if we don't know God, we know somehow, some way, we are answerable to the Creator. And here the Bible, the gospel, is the good news because God has sent his message, his messengers, to tell the world the truth. To tell the world of this way of salvation, that is, salvation from the punishment of sin, salvation from the judgment to come, salvation from their own corruption within themselves. You know, people sin and they say, well, I just can't help myself. That's what it means to be a sinner. We can't help ourselves. That's right. I can't help myself. I just keep lying. I can't help myself. I keep committing this immorality. I can't help myself because I'm hooked on this 
addiction and that addiction or stealing. I'm, I have this thing about stealing and, and I just can't help to feel this envy and jealousy when other people have things that I desire or things that I wish I had and I'm always complaining and I'm, and I'm just never happy and I'm just a miserable person, but I just can't help myself. Well, that's what it means to be a sinner. But Christ saves us. Salvation is to be delivered from that where you no longer live. You now have God's grace in you and you can say, no, I don't need to live this way. I'm going to live a different way. No, I don't need to think these thoughts. I'm going to be a, a humble person and free from envy and jealousy. And I can rejoice in the prosperity of others and feel good about it within and I could be free from having to go with the crowd and the pressure of this world to do what this world is telling me to do I could be liberated from all that you see that's what salvation does it set us free from our sins and it delivers us from the punishment of hell that is the wrath of God to come and so what Jesus did when Christ died upon the cross, his death was substitutionary or vicarious. He died in our place, in our behalf. He died. I think I heard someone was quoting, and I'm, I'm probably missing, but I just like the simplicity of these words. I think it was like in a... American Indian, I forget the century, but didn't know English well. But the gospel came to, this, to them, and they believed. And you know what his understanding was of the gospel? Is this. He die, me no die. That's the gospel. He die, me no die. He died for my sins, and for me, I don't need to die for my sins. He has died for my sins. And so he died on our behalf, and Paul is saying one dies for all. So back to 2 Corinthians 5. And for the sake of time, I'm going to quote more passages. Back to our passage here, and I'm taking my time here because we need to understand what Paul is talking about. He says, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge, that is, we consider, we reflect, we understand that one died for all. Now here's his second phrase, therefore all died. That is, Christ died not only as a substitute, but he died as a representative. He not only died in the place of others, but he died representing them as their federal head. And therefore, the thing that Christ did on their behalf is transferred to them. He represents them. And so what he does, and I, I'm sorry, I hope you don't think I'm doing political thing, but it just kind of fits. If you think as... Um, Let's say prime minister. Think of another country. <laughs> if you want to think of another. If the prime minister declares war, the whole country is now at war, right? One person. He didn't get a vote. 
The leader declares war, and we have laws and so forth, and I want to get into all of that. But the point is that a representative represents those for whom he, you know, represents. So therefore, what that person does, it impacts all that he represents. And so what Jesus did upon the cross, it impacts all those whom he represents. As in Adam, all die, right? Adam represented the human race. That's why we are sinners, because of Adam's sin in Eden. Romans 5, verses 12, As to one man, sin entered the world, and death passed to all men, for that all sin, right? Through one man. So you say, but that's not fair. Ha! It also works in salvation. Because through the one man, Christ Jesus, who is the Son of God, what he has done, it, it's transferred to those whom he represents through the righteousness of the one, the many are made righteous. Therefore, when Jesus obeyed and fulfilled the law of God, when Jesus endured the wrath of God on the cross, he was representing his people. And everything that Jesus accomplished is carried over to them. And so the good news is, the righteousness that we are incapable of performing, of rendering to God, we are incapable of obeying God's law perfectly. Jesus fulfilled that. What he did is applied to me. It's carried over to me. And the death that he died, that I dare not die, in enduring God's wrath, paying for all of my sins, that payment is credited to me. And that's what Paul says, therefore one died on behalf of all, therefore all died. That is, the good news for us is that we died in Christ. And we don't have to die in our own persons and go to hell. When Jesus died, he died on our behalf and we were united with him and we died with him. We weren't there. Of course we weren't there. Just like we weren't there at the Garden of Eden when Adam represented the entire human race. And so Jesus represents his people when he goes to the cross and when he dies, his life, his death and the glory of it all when he rose from the dead. You know, the soul that sins shall surely die. And what is death? Death is the wages of sin. We die because of sin. When sin entered into the world, Adam died. And not only there is the physical death, but there is the second death, which is eternal death. But when Jesus rises from the dead, he rises conquering the grave. He rises because he satisfied the punishment. The payment has been made in full. These sins for these sinners for whom I represent all of their sins have been punished in me. And so when I rise from the dead, there is no more punishment for them. 
Their sins have been paid for like someone pays off your credit card. Your debt has been paid. Their sins have been paid for, paid in full. The righteousness that I have rendered has been rendered on their behalf. And therefore they have a right to go into heaven because I have provided everything they need. I have provided it in my person. That veil in the temple was rent. There was no longer needed for the the altar and the sacrifice, Jesus had provided all of that and therefore all died. And then notice this. What is the effect of his death? Look at the language here. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge, using our heads, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that they that live should no longer live to themselves, but unto him who for their sakes, see it, for their sakes died and rose again. Jesus didn't have any sin. He was righteous. He did it for their sakes. And the effect of his death, the death of Christ produced this desired effect for those whom he died is that we now live, we no longer live to ourselves. We put selfishness away. And I tell you, any person that is not a Christian, it is impossible not to be selfish. We're born that way. That's why kids whine. And that little infant scream in anger ah, when they didn't get what they want, right? Because they're selfish. And the kid throws a tantrum. I'm not going to act like a kid, but you get it. They throw a tantrum. They stomp their feet. Do they have to be taught to do that? That's natural. And when we grow up as adults, we do the same thing with our words. We may kick the door, slam the door, start using bad language and, and yelling and raising our voice and being frustrated and crying and arguing and all these things. And say, oh, I'm so mad that I can just spit, spit, spit. I'm so mad, right? They're so mad. Spit, S-P-I-T, that's what I said. And that's selfishness. But Christ died that they that live live, should no longer live to self. And now their life is oriented not about how does this affect me, right? That's the question. Well, what's in it for me? Where's the money? What's in it for me? The life is now lived, how can I glorify God? How can I glorify Jesus? And see, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians, this is why I am the man that I am. They say that Paul is crazy because the way he preaches, he gets all worked up and he's preaching and he's getting all excited in the sermon. That man is out of his mind. Why is he getting so excited about all of this? And then he's saying, oh, knowing the terror of the Lord. Verse 11, right? We persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, of the judgment to come, we are pleading and we persuade men, come, turn from your sins. This is the day of grace. We are ambassadors as though God were pleading by us, be 
reconciled to God. This is the day of salvation. Why will you die? Why will you perish in your sin? Turn from sin. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to your doubt. Don't listen to your fears. Come to Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in the gospel. Believe him. Trust in him. Ask him to change you and be delivered from the wrath of God, knowing the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. And they say, Paul, that man is crazy. He's out of his mind. And Paul is saying, I, I do what I do. I say what I say. Because the love of Christ constrains me so. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, one died on behalf of all. And he, and therefore all died. And he died that they that live should no longer live for themselves. Now let's bring, let's come to some words of application here. I took my time here so we can really understand the meaning and the significance of the death of Christ. First line of application here. Love for Christ is not fostered by mindless emotion. Love for Christ, you want to love Christ more, is not fostered, is not developed by mindless emotion. In other words, by an empty head. You don't need to be a, have an empty head to be a Christian. Christians do not have empty heads. As the world will look upon us and despise us and say, you know what, I'm too educated to believe in that nonsense about blood, sacrifice, wrath, sin, and judgment. You know, I am above all of that. I'm an educated person. You're talking this ancient religion about these things, about offering sacrifices and so forth. And so the, the person in the world who despised the gospel would say, I'm, I'm above that. And you Christians, you just have empty heads and you're just not really, your IQ is pretty low. You're not all that smart. And um, I like to listen to the professors and to the um, smart ones of the earth. But love for Christ is not falsehood by mindless emotion. Remember what we saw here? He says, Christ's love constrains me because we thus judge. Christianity has a lot to do with using your heads and using your mind. And Paul is saying, we thus judge that one died for all, therefore all died. And when you look at the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures and what God was doing through that bloody sacrificial system you say what's all the business with all this blood and sacrifice well i tell you what it's all about god instituted that to educate his people they needed to know that sin is really bad sin is not tolerated by god and the way that they could understand that god had to give them something tangible you slaughter an animal and offer it up for sacrifice. You know, can you imagine the sound of that animal bleeding and screaming and reeling in pain? Can you imagine all of the blood and the gore? I mean, being a priest was a messy job. You think of going to the butcher, right? And you see, but you can imagine they take that animal that was alive, they slaughter it there, and they're pouring blood. And you say, oh man, this is disgusting. 
Well, yeah, that's the point because sin is disgusting. And that's the point. That's what they need. They needed that object lesson to see that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And God was training them and preparing them to receive Jesus Christ, who would be the Lamb of God. So as they had that system, when Jesus Christ came and when he was on the cross, he was a human being and his blood was shed. And that was the significance of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, this one is now God's lamb. God has provided a lamb in his son who came from heaven, who acquired humanity through Mary. And as he is on the cross, he is offering up his soul as a sacrifice like those animals under the old covenant. Instead of an animal, you have the Son of God and a man, a man who was without sin, enduring the wrath of the sins of other sinful human, of, of others human, sinful human being. He wasn't sinful. So I have to be careful in my language. Jesus was not sinful, but of sinful human beings, and yet he is a son of God, and there on the cross he is offering up as a sacrifice. You see, all of this, that was the teaching of the, toward the people to prepare them to receive Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. And John said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb has come. And that's why the veil of the temple was torn in two. That's why the whole sacrificial system was done away, is not necessary anymore, because the true lamb has come, and now we don't need to offer up a bloody sacrifice, but the call of the gospel is to repent and believe. Because he has done it. He has offered the sacrifice. He had offered himself up. He has fulfilled all that was required. And therefore, if we turn from our sins and put our faith, the fact, if you, even as my brother mentioned, God accepts what Jesus did. God accepts what Jesus did. And that's the whole point is what God accepts. And if God accepts what Jesus did, and when you believe in him and trust in him, he will accept you. And Paul, this is the glory of it, love for Christ is not fostered by a mindless emotion. And therefore, a careful consideration and interpretation of the death of Christ, it is the most noblest, it is the most profound topic that you can ever think about, that you can ever consider. And you will say with Paul, all oh, the depth of the riches and the ways of God, his ways are past tracing out. Who have known the mind of the Lord or who have been his counselor? For of him and to him and through him are all things. Who could come up with such a plan of salvation as God has come? It's marvelous. It's, it's, it's something that would inspire all from our hearts. And therefore I say love to Christ is not fostered by a mindless emotion. Let me go on. Love for Christ is fostered by an understanding of this doctrine of the death of Christ. 
And it begins by the illumination of God. By the illumination of God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to cut out a lot of things and I'm going to wrap it up here. 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul is saying here. Again, this is one of my favorite portions of the, of the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. It's so intimate. It's so heartwarming anyway. But 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. Verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, even as we obtain mercy, we do not lose heart. We faint not. But we renounce the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, that is, people don't understand it, it is veiled in them that perish, in whom the God of this world, that is the devil, have blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should not dawn upon them. You know, like the beginning of the day when the sun rises, and you know that the day is, has come. The night is over, now the day has arrived. And Paul says, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Seeing it is God that said, light shall shine out of darkness. In the beginning there was darkness, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Out of the darkness there was light. And remember, in creation, God created the light before he created the sun. There was light without the sun. Read it. He created light before he created the sun. So light shine out of darkness who shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that this gospel is veiled in those that perish. The world in darkness, the, the, the devil, which is a spirit, an evil spirit, he blinds the minds of the unbelieving. And therefore, as I said before, people hear Jesus and say, big deal, so what? It's because they're blind. But when their eyes are open, what happens? God shines light into their heart. He, out of the dark, into their darkened heart, he shines a light of the, in our hearts, verse 6, who shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. 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 Understanding. Understanding and belief of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When we see Jesus and we understand who Jesus is, it's because God the Father has given us illumination that is by his Holy Spirit. He has opened up our eyes. That's why we pray, Lord, open their eyes. And that they may see that they may understand, that they may believe. And so when God opens our eyes, that is the new birth. You must be born again. 
You cannot see, you cannot enter God's kingdom unless you are born again. So when God changes your heart, he shines in your heart, and he gives the knowledge of the glory of God in face of Jesus. When you see Jesus for who he is, you know what's going to happen? You believe him. No one can see Jesus and turn away from him and reject him. No one can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and reject that. Paul, I'll use Paul as an example. Paul, see I'm putting my notes away. Paul, he was a terrorist. Acts 9. He was arresting Christians, having them put into prison. And he was on the Damascus Road. He was going to get more. Stephen. They stoned Stephen to death and there was a young man, Saul, who was consenting to his death. And he was going after more Christians because he hated Christians. And he wanted to see them killed. And there are people that hate Christians, behead them, torture them. It's going on to this very day. While he was on the Damascus road, there was a voice, there was a light that shined from heaven, and a voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. See, Jesus is not just a man, he is God, he is the Son of God. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And... And Paul was a chosen vessel. God had chosen Paul before Paul was born to be the great apostle. And God has his chosen ones. Who knows? They may be torturing Christians right now. And God may have chosen them to save them and use them for the advancement of his kingdom. But what happened to Paul was that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shone on the face of Jesus. And when Paul understood who Jesus really was, Paul was saved. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And Paul was now the ambassador, the apostle, the great apostle who is preaching and teaching and who loves Christ, who is ready to die for Christ, who is willing, he wants to be with Christ. This is the same man that was persecuting Jesus. Now how can a man go from hating Jesus to loving Jesus so much? It is the power of God, it is the illumination of God's spirit to open his eyes. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It transforms us. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all has become new. <clears throat> and so, I'm thinking a lot of if there's anyone here who doesn't know the Lord. I'm trying my best. But I can't save anyone. I'm trying my best to get you to understand. But I'm not frustrated. Because salvation is of the Lord. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So my confidence is in the message. And God working in your hearts. However young you are, however old you may be. This is a day of salvation. This is a day of grace. 
Don't reject Jesus. It will be to your eternal ruin. But come to this Jesus. Bow before this Jesus. And if you're confused and don't understand, say, okay, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see. And for we, God's people, brethren, what we heard this morning, what we've heard now, may we find ourselves under the constraining influence of the love of Christ more and more, that as we live our lives, brethren, let's be free. Let's be free to live for the glory of God and not for ourselves. So no matter what happens to us, no matter what we're going through, our orientation is not how does it affect me, but our orientation is how can I glorify God? And that's our liberty as children of God. May God be pleased to strengthen us as believers that we may be more like Paul and that God will open the eyes of those who have not yet seen. Let's pray.